Welcome to the Monochrome Picture Show. Today, we are going to be talking about the Yasujiro Ozu film called Late Spring, made in 1949. First, we will have a brief introduction, followed by a discussion on form, meaning, and a conclusion. So, the film Late Spring follows Noriko, who is 27 years old and still unmarried, something rather uncommon in 1949 Japan. Her widowed father, Shukuchi, is concerned for her future and attempts to arrange a marriage. Directed by Yasujiro Ozu, it is the first of what has been called his Noriko trilogy, the others being Early Summer and Tokyo Story, both of which are amazing films in their own right, but are not connected causally. The film was written and shot during the Allied Powers occupation of Japan, and the film was subject to the occupation's official censorship requirements. And, as a fun fact for you, it is Akira Kurosawa's favourite film. <laughs> so, what did you think about the film like, in terms of form? I was reading Michael Atkinson's article on the Criterion, and he describes it as, uh, first of all, the original title is Banshun. Probably we're butchering it, but... Yeah, the names as well. I'm always a little yeah. bit scared of pronouncing <laughs> So he defines it as the archetypal shomingeki, which is the family drama. Okay. And it was interesting to me because, as you said, it was shot during the American occupation of Japan. So there's a big part of censorship that plays a very important role with how the film was made. Mm. It's also important to remember that Ozu made other post-war films mm -hmm. before Banshun, but this is the first one that is actually concerned with family matters yeah. or as Atkinson calls them, quiet tension of generational conflict instead of external tension because of the war or the post-war so form-wise there are many things to be said about the actual censorship if you want to talk about that Absolutely. immediately all right so they had to, and by they I mean Ozu and his crew, had to respect the censorship laws of the time. So there are several things that they actually had to change from the screenplay or the script to the actual film. For one thing, the arranged marriage of Noriko, which changes completely then in the film because it's her it's like even a central mm -hmm. theme the fact that she decides to marry mm -hmm. to get married in the synopsis it's actually a family decision so a collective decision but because of the cultural clash between american and japanese culture that was considered as downgrading the importance uh, of the individual mm. and so they changed it into her own choice in air quotes yeah i yeah. mean she's definitely persuaded to get married but interestingly i always found that the father's attempts to push her towards marriage didn't come across as necessarily too patriarchal but more born out of concern because he cared for her his daughter and he wanted to make sure that she was going to do the right thing for herself and not for him of course mm. I understand what you mean, but being concerned for your own daughter in a way that makes you think you know better mm -hmm. and I'd be less concerned if she was linked forever to another guy, mm -hmm. it's patriarchal still. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so I understand what you mean, it's not a strict type of patriarchy, it mm -hmm. comes out of love. 
mm-hmm. but yeah. it's still mm. okay some more things about the censorship when noriko and her father take a trip to kyoto in the original synopsis that trip was made so that they could visit the mother's grave okay and that which was changed because of the censorship and that i've actually found really really interesting because why would that be a problem yeah no, i'm right? curious and what i found about it is that it was a problem because of the concept of worshiping of the dead by visiting the grave within japanese culture there's an aspect of worshiping of the dead which from a catholic or anyway western point of view changes the perspective of the grave from remembering your ancestors to treating them as godlike okay and that was against from what i understood that's against a western view mm. so they had to change that my last thing about it it was made right after world war Two, yet there is absolutely no hint on the bombing of japan for one thing nor visual or verbal they do talk about the war by saying yeah. that noriko was working during the war mm. but they don't show the effects on of the war on the city they're living in mm. because of course that didn't sit well with the censorship probably not no and that together with one last thing which is you know the character of auntie masa the one who finds the purse it's the sister of the father yes she finds the purse and says oh this is a good omen it's gonna bring me good luck i found an article that says that ozu uses this purse uh, skit as a mocking kind of partial compliance with the censorship because the Americans wanted an actual scene where she brings back the purse to the actual owner. Okay. And Ozu changed it into a constant, you're going to bring that purse back, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. But <laughs> we actually never see her bringing the purse back. So yeah. he's playing. But then how did he get that past the censors? I suppose because that was good enough. It's mentioned that she should. Yeah. So the moral is quite, quite clear. clear. And he mentions it more than once. Exactly. And that's it about the censorship. That's all I have. It's funny because when I was watching the film for the second time, I had the censorship in mind. I couldn't think of a way in which the censorship would have affected the plot. And yet clearly it has done because, as you said, there are moments that have been taken out or put in specifically for the censorship. But the plot itself, like, it feels very peaceful and it flows very naturally and gracefully and i think the proof is that when i was re-watching it i couldn't think of any significant plot points so to speak i remember them going to the concert or the dramatic performance oh yeah the theater mm. and i remember them going on the trip together mm-hmm. but besides those two things i couldn't i couldn't necessarily think of moments that stood out as if they were big plot points mm-hmm. I mean, there's a big reveal towards the end of the film, but besides that, there isn't. It's not like this is a plot-driven film. It just moves very slowly and gracefully all the way through. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with that. There is actually an interesting, not a debate, but two opposite points of view. Mm-hmm. One is from Bordwell, and the other one is from Kate Geist. Mm-hmm. They talk about the narration of Bunchum. And Bordwell defines this as parametric narration, 
Okay. His cinematic execution, it provides the right space for reflection and de deviation. So we not only get to see the fabula, mm -hmm. but we also get other shots. So for example, the pillow shots that are seemingly not connected with mm -hmm. the story, but are actually part of the story and Bordwell considers them as playful. So he's playing with the audience, even like attention and mm. the capacity to link together pieces that are, that, that are seemingly unconnected. Mm. And on the other hand, Kate Geist talks about the essentialist quality of the narrative structure by saying that his narrative structure is actually deeply related to an economy of means. So everything that is in the film, it's there for a reason. Even the ellipsis mm -hmm. of uh, important scenes, for example, the most striking one is the fact that we never get to see the marriage scene. <laughs> that is a subtle hint on what the story is actually about. Right. So I don't know about you, but I do agree more with Kate Geist. I don't know if it matters. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, I, I have to agree with you when you say that, or Kate Geist, when she said that you, you don't get to see the wedding. Because when I was rewatching it, I thought, yeah, well, hang on, there's all this build up, there's all this discussion about the wedding, and then we don't see it. Yeah. And for me, what I took away from that was that actually for the story that we're watching, the marriage itself is inconsequential because what we're really watching is the relationship between a father and a daughter and the fact that it is a very transitory relationship. It is going to come to an end. And that's what I think is the point of it because it's a film about loneliness, but also about rebirth. And he talks a lot about the fact that Noriko needs to create a new life for herself with her husband and you know, spring is about a new life mm -hmm. and the fact that Noriko is 27 years old which at the time was very late to get married <laughs> made that a very late rebirth and that's yeah. where I was thinking well maybe that's where they got the name from late spring mm -hmm. but in the end it's not really about her getting married it's about her and her relationship with her father and that, that's why I loved the film yeah it's a great film isn't it I think it, it's an amazing film it's amazing and I think that reading especially frames the ending and spoiler alert in case you <laughs> haven't seen it yet yeah. but in the end we see Shikuchi sit down and peel himself an apple and as he sits it looks like he's letting himself finally relax because he feels like he's done right by his daughter and he lied to her mm -hmm. and he says it was the biggest lie of my life oh yeah and it's it's tragic because you can tell he didn't want to do it but he felt like he had to in order to do right by her yeah and he sits down and he peels himself an apple and as he does so, he breaks down and he just hangs his head. And for me, there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways of reading that particular moment, but it struck me because peeling an apple, oftentimes you probably see an adult do that for their child. Yeah. And that probably brought back memories of the past as he's peeling the apple and giving it to his daughter. 
And then as she grows up, she probably peeled apples for him and gave them back to him. And now he's alone and must do it for himself. And he knows that it was the right thing to do, but it's still, it's tragic. And there's actually a line in, when they go to the concert performance, there's a line in the song where the performer says, the smell of citrus fruits conjures memories from the past. And I don't think an apple counts as a citrus fruit. <laughs> I don't think so. But, but it counts as a fruit. It does count as a fruit. And so for me, the connection was close enough. Wow. I love that. Makes me emotional, actually, a little bit. It's a, just a heartbreaking ending. <laughs> <laughs> it's a film about moving into and out of loneliness. One thing that I think we should mention before we begin to wrap up is the cinematography, which you kind of have to talk about when you're watching an Ozu film. I mean, the cinematography is gorgeous. Like The shots look like they're paintings, and it contributes to the peaceful quality of the film that I think few films do. It's very, very still. They're often shot from a low angle and often in hallways as well. When we look at Ozu's work, there is always this attention to detail and to domestic space, most of all because of the inherent quality of family drama. It's going to be probably set in their home. Mm. As we said, Banshun, aka Late Spring, mm -hmm. is a story about transition, it's about fleeting moments and the passing of time. When we look at how their home is depicted, we will see that it is often the case that scenes are shot from corridors or anyway, halls or spaces that you wouldn't normally choose as a setting for a scene. Mm. And this seems to be a theme for the whole movie. Mm. I just don't believe that it was done casually. Mm. I, yeah. I, I am sure there's a deeper reason. So I think from a symbolic point of view, the aesthetic of it matches the themes of the story, which is a passage, a moment of passage. Yeah, transition. Transition, exactly. It's neither here or there. Spring itself, it's a season of transition, mm. you know. Yeah. It's called, I don't know about your language, but it's called middle season in my language. Oh, yeah. Mezza stagione, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Because it marks the passage between winter and summer. Mm. But it's, I don't think it's shorter, but perhaps it feels shorter and chaotic. The spring felt very, very short. Yeah, it did. It, yeah. Is, a, it is a transitional period, both for Noriko, for her father and for Japan. It mm -hmm. was, you know, it was made under the American occupation as Japan was moving away from its traditionalist past and into a more modern, industrialized and capitalist country. And we see that as people are moving away from traditional ideas, especially the concept of remarriage, which is seen as dirty. But by and by, it looks like this traditional view is slowly falling away as people come to terms with the fact that people are going to remarry as they do in this film. Yeah. Interestingly, I agree with you 100%. It does give you a rather liberal perspective, or in a way progressive perspective, mm -hmm. given the time. But when you look at the effect that censorship had on the film, mm -hmm. you can see that what's happening is actually the struggle that Ozu 
had mm-hmm. or that also suffered from when trying to balance a conservative and mindful view of his country. Not necessarily conservative in the sense that he wanted to keep it that way, but more in the way that he wanted to celebrate his uh, country's tradition and ways, also because of the invasion of the Americans. That with a mean of showing what was happening with codes that were um, I don't know, agreeable mm-hmm. for the American censorship. So you see this constant struggle, which is not necessarily liberal, but perfectly depicts the transition of Japan. So mm-hmm. between the old and the new, I think yeah. that's really interesting. And I think that goes hand in hand with the actual historical moment and what was mm-hmm. actually happening yeah. in Japan, you know. It also the the shot with the cola, Coca-Cola label yeah. when they're cycling yeah. to the beach. Yeah. So clever. Um, think you're right because it feels like he's paying respects to the tradition of his country as Noriko does the aunt says that at some point like she's very traditional for mm. how young she is and that's Ozu paying respects to the history of his country but also looking forward to the future you know, mm. it's it's a film that is looking towards things to come and how the moment that we're in is just a moment of transition mm-hmm all right. Do you have anything to say about probably the most famous shot of the entire movie being the vase? The vase. Yeah. I don't. If you'd like to say something, please do. Um, just briefly. So it's an ongoing debate. People don't know what the <laughs> yeah. shot is about. There's so many people who talk about different symbolisms. I do like the idea of the delusion time image. Mm-hmm. Noriko's expressions, mm-hmm. expressions, and the vase. Mm-hmm. So the vase represents the passage of time or the passing of time, mm-hmm. but the stillness of the passing of time because mm-hmm. the event of the passing of time itself is mm-hmm. something that never changes. Mm-hmm. Time always passes. Mm-hmm. So it's a stillness in motion. It's a little bit tricky to explain, but mm-hmm. then you see Noriko's expression. So what do, what do you see? It's a serene expression, then the vase, then a neutral expression, if I'm not mistaken, then the vase again, and then a sad expression. Yeah. Or something like that. Something I'll double similar. check. But I'm sure there's a happy, a cut, and then a sad expression. Yeah. That fluctuation marks human nature and... And compares it to the nature of the vase, which exactly. I think is super interesting. Of the text that I read about, you know, the vase shot in this film, mm-hmm. nobody mentioned what I thought was probably one of the most obvious comparisons, which is John Keats's poem, Ode on a Grecian Urn. Oh. Because that's a poem that compares human experience to the immaterial experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, or sorry, the immaterial experience. Yeah. The vase is something that doesn't age, it doesn't grow old, it's not affected by the passing of time. And he laments this because he thinks, I'm gonna grow old and die. And all of Keats's poetry is about the fact that, oh god, I'm gonna die one day. And then he did die very young, which is unfortunate. Mm. But in this film it felt very similar, where she's constantly aware of the passing of time and how threatening it is to her and her father's relationship and then it cuts to the 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 vase and then it cuts back to her it's almost like she's realizing this vase 
that's probably in this house where we are right now it's going to stay like that but we won't yeah the only thing i think that the sequence is still in kyoto it's not their house yeah but think about it like they've come here before it's their yeah, yeah, little yeah. getaway and he says this is the last time we'll go on a trip together and then she thinks about the vase and probably it, it just struck me as something that would be totally unaffected by her current dilemma I suppose. So the moment of realization mm -hmm. that the phase has come to an end. Mm. Or at That's least beautiful. is slowly coming to an end. Nerd writer writes about it. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I thought about it too, but I don't know if there's any theoretical framework for this. In his opinion, the phase is the mum. It's a nerd. I also considered that. Right. Yeah. But maybe, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I also thought of that, but I wasn't so sure. No, exactly. I well, I suppose from one point of view, even it, even if it symbolizes the mom, the fact that the mom passed away, it's also the passage of time, the passing of time. Mm -hmm. Like it's a symbol of the passing of time, I suppose. And I, I mean, it would make sense given the fact that the censorship didn't make them justify their trip to Kyoto because of the mother's grave. It would make sense to somehow incorporate the mum spirit That's within true. that setting. Hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe. Maybe. So well, I'll I'll put the link in in the website. So <laughs> check it out. Thank you for listening. This concludes our episode on Yasujiro Ozu's Late Spring. Join us next week when we will discuss the new Irish film on Colleen Kuhn by filmmaker Colin Barad. We will comparing it as it has lots of similarities to Ozu's Late Spring. Please visit us at the Monochrome Picture Show to look at the show notes and all of our other episodes.